Ephesians chapter 6. As you may have guessed from our scripture reading this morning, from our song before um, before the scripture or after the scripture reading, before the scripture reading, the one we just sang. <laughs> There's a bit of a topic that we'll be speaking on. I told my children that I was going to be preaching on my specialty this uh, this morning. They asked me, what is that? <laughs> um, I, I will tell you this. I, there are many things uh, in Scripture that, um, that God has done in our lives, and we stand up and preach, and, and we feel like God has, has moved and worked in us and, and, uh, and is making changes, and we're making progress, and then there are some of those topics that we, that we come to, and we feel very inadequate um, as, we, as we come to preach them. And so we of course, as always, rely on what God has to say about the subject and not what I have to say about the subject, not what I think about the subject. But this is definitely one of those that is not one that I, I would say I have attained. Um, I am not the perfect father. Um, I hope that I am a good father, but um, certainly not perfect. Certainly, I think most of us would would say that we're in the same boat and that we all have a ways to go when it comes to how we instruct our children, how we raise our children, especially for us here in the church as part of the body of Christ, as followers of Christ. We obviously desire to do that in a way that is glorifying to Christ. So as we come to this part of our uh, of our covenant, we've kind of done a few things out of order here, so we're jumping back up near the beginning of this second paragraph. Uh, we come to this statement that we will pursue obedience regarding biblical family roles as parents bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are very delighted to have so many families here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. Um, I was looking at the numbers. Hopefully, many of you saw the, um, the information about technology, what we're doing with uh, some of the, the app and things like that. If you haven't seen it, it's on our YouTube channel. If you want to go find that, kind of show you how to get access to some of those things that we'll be doing electronically moving forward. Um, but one of the cool things about that program is I can see a breakdown of uh, different, you know, subsections of our, of our church. And one of those is uh, adult to children ratio. And we're falling behind adults. Um, there are more children in our, in our gatherings, um, depending on the, the week, than there are adults many times. It's, uh, it's pretty close evenly from a membership standpoint, but we have many families with a lot of children. Uh, and we're excited about that. We enjoy having the children here. We enjoy having family worship. I know uh, it can be a little uh, taxing sometimes on parents when maybe your child is acting up or they're scribbling a little bit too loud or they start crying because they want to be fed or they're talking to one another. Whatever it is, I know as parents, you know, we're very sensitive to that. And we, 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 just, we wanna, want everything to be quiet. We don't want to be the distraction. Uh, but I, I'll be honest with you, I, I never have a problem with it. Um, because I love having the kids in here. I love them learning 
how, what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ and, and to gather with the church here. And so I hope that, uh, that you appreciate that as well. So this morning, obviously, we're talking about parents. We're talking to parents. But uh, if you're here this, this morning and you're not a parent, whether you're uh, a child or a teenager, you need to pay attention to this as well so that you can grade your parent. No, not the, no. Um, so that you can know when you become a parent what God requires of you as a parent. Um, there may be some here who are, who are without children, whether couples or unmarried. And I hope that you don't tune this out as well because as we'll see further on at the end, there, there is a place for you in this process as part of Liberty Hills Bible Church. So let's dive into this topic that we have here. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 6. If you will, put your finger in Ephesians chapter 6 and also jump over to Colossians chapter 3. We're actually going to be in both of these passages this morning. Um, they're both one verse, so there's, there's not, it doesn't seem like a whole lot of material here. I, I don't know if you might have been a little worried listening to that Hebrews passage. We're not going to be preaching from the Hebrews passage. Uh, we're just taking one verse here in Ephesians chapter 6 and one verse in Colossians chapter 3 because they're kind of parallel verses. If you look at the, the context there, you'll see that they, in Colossians, it also starts with husbands and wives and, and their interactions as we've had over the last couple of weeks. And so it, then it talks about children, which we'll talk about next week, kids, so be prepared. You get, you're off the hook a little bit this week, but you're going to be on the hook next week as, along with everybody else. But we have two kind of parallel passages here, and in very many ways, they say pretty much the same thing, but there's a little bit of nuance between them, and I want to kind of point that out this morning as we look at that. So have a finger there in Colossians chapter 3. We'll look back at Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 4. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then Colossians chapter 3 starting in verse 21, or just verse 21, says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. All right, so we have two passages really dealing with pretty much the same information. Ephesians is a little bit longer. But the title of the message this morning is Biblical Requirements for Raising Children. Biblical requirements for raising children. One of the most uh, frustrating realities of teaching this topic is that Scripture really doesn't give us a ton of instruction on how to raise our children. We have examples in Scripture, both good and bad. Um, but really, especially here in the New Testament, these are the verses. These are the main two verses that give us specific instructions as parents as to how we are to parent our children. Now, does that mean there's nothing else available to us? Obviously not. There's been thousands of books written on parenting by Christian authors, and, and of course, they aren't just coming at it from their own perspective. They're, they're taking principles from the Word of God. So yes, there are, there are principles from the Word of God that we can take to aid us in our goal of being parents who are raising our children well, who are raising them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But really, we find these two passages here in the New Testament, and then just a couple passages in the Old Testament when it comes to actual specific instruction. 
And that's what I want to focus on this morning. We're not going to cover um, every topic that could possibly come up. You know, what do I do when my child does this? You know, uh, there, there's lots of other resources out there for that. Um, there, we have our, our own Heavenly Father to look at and, and to see how we should interact with our children. But I'm going to take just these two passages, and, and of course a lot of other references, if you know, if you know when I preach, we usually dig through a lot of scriptures. So um, <clears throat> we're going to take a lot of different passages and just look at what are the biblical requirements. What is scripture telling us we need to make sure that we're doing as parents when it comes to raising children? The wonderful thing is that we do have a good, good father. Are you thankful for that? God, our heavenly father, is the perfect example for us. And even, even though he does not give us a ton of specific instruction, he is the perfect example. And he is the one that we can look to um, as we seek to become the parents that he wants us to be. So the first thing that I want to look at in this passage here in Ephesians and, and in Colossians is that we need to accept our calling. We need to accept our calling. After those first few sleepless nights, all the things that you thought you knew about parenting probably go right out the window. Um, you, you're starting to get tired, and uh, I have a feeling you probably don't, don't think you've got it all together for the next 18 years. <laughs> Um, if you're, if you're like me, uh, there'll be times when you wonder why in the world did we do this? You don't, don't raise your hand, but have you ever had that question cross your mind? <laughs> why did we do this when the children are fighting with each other and arguing, or when you've told them for the 13,000th time to brush their teeth when they get up? or when they go to bed, or whatever it is, you ask the question, why in the world did we do this? It's interesting, Paul starts off this passage with a, with a word. What is that word? That verse, it starts with fathers, right? It starts with fathers. That word fathers is quite simply a calling. He's saying, you know who you are. You know who you are. You are fathers. Now, that word in the Greek is pater. Uh, in some places, it is translated as parents uh, in the plural. In Hebrews, we have a passage talking about um, Moses' parents, and that is the same word there. But generally, this word pater is in reference to fathers. So as we look at this passage, yes, it is applicable to mothers as well. But I'm going to give you just a slight pass, all right, on the very beginning here. You're, you're going to be involved pretty quickly, though. But it, it, it is more specifically talking about fathers. Why is that? Why is that? Well, we've just talked about men and women and, and the fact that they are equal in the sight of God. They are equal as part of the body of Christ. Be it God has designed specific roles, specifically within the family, and that the man is the head of the wife, and that the wife is to submit, but yet they are to submit to one another, that there is supposed to be love. If you were here for the last two weeks, you know those things well. Very convicting messages for us over the last two weeks. If you, if you weren't here, they're on our website. Certainly feel free to go listen to those. I would highly recommend it. As Andy took us through what it looks like to be a biblical wife, and Eric took us through what it looks like to be a biblical husband. 
But as husbands, we are not just the, 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 the head of the wife, but we are then the head of the household. It is our responsibility, and in fact, in, in that time, it was commonly understood as the father's responsibility to make sure that the children were raised correctly. Raising the children was on the plate of the father. Now, I'm sure as today, they probably, there was a lot that the mothers did as, as fathers went to work, even more in the fields or as they went to work and, and potentially traveled and things like that. So I'm sure there was, there was a lot more of, of the mothers being involved, but the responsibility, how a child turned out, was placed on the father. And so we, look, we come to this passage and Paul is doing the same thing. Here he's talking to men and women and their relationship in marriage. And then he comes to their relationship as parents and he says, fathers, fathers. He gives instruction specifically to the fathers. I want to remind us this morning that when it comes to fatherhood, it's not an accident, you're like, we know. It's not an accident. It's God's will. Have you ever thought about that? Parenthood is God's will. Genesis 1, 28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you, speaking to God, for you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when, I was, when as yet there was none of them. No matter what path brought you to this point as a parent, it was God's will, God's will that you are one. No matter how you got here, God is the one that determined that you should be a parent of this child. Whether you are married or unmarried, whether you're just starting out in, or in the throes of the teenage years, or whether you just sent the last one out into the world. Whether you think that you're doing well or feel like you've completely failed to this point, God chose you for those children. Have you thought about that? God chose you for the children that are in your home. It's his will. If you have children this morning, it is God's will for you to be their parent. And there is a calling in that that we need to recognize and that we need to accept that God has called us. It is his will for us to be parents. It is not something that we should look at as a chore, as a mistake, as a problem, but rather as a blessing because God has ordained it for us. How often we use little terms like 
mistake or surprise when it comes to some of our children, specifically the younger ones. It weren't a mistake. God had a plan. It was his perfect will for us to be parents. We need to accept our calling because God has ordained it. Mothers, you are a part of this as well. Paul calls out this relationship of the parent and child specifically to the fathers, but we know that mothers are a part of it as well. There is a weight of responsibility. We have Proverbs 1.8, which says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not, what? Your mother's teaching. There's an understanding in Scripture that mothers are part of the instruction. They are part of the teaching of the children. They do not hold the ultimate responsibility, as the father does, but they are part of that. As one flesh, they are the parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, which we'll get to next week, says, Children, obey your parents, plural, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Some mothers are not left behind in the dust. You're not ignored in this process. You are a part of this parenting. Scripture clearly calls both the mother and the father to be active participants in raising of children. So I ask you this morning, have you accepted the call God has made on your life as a mother or as a father? Not in a woe is me, but in a let's do this. God, God has ordained this, let's go. Is that the attitude that we have? Have we accepted the responsibility involved in raising children for God's glory? Have we accepted the fact that it's going to be difficult? You're like, yes, I've accepted that. Um, I'm right in the middle of it. It is difficult. It is difficult. Why is it so difficult for us to raise children? Why, why can't we, we do all the, quote, right things and come out with perfect children? Why is it so hard? Proverbs twenty two fifteen reminds us that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly. It's just a part of who they are. They're foolish. They don't have the years of experience and training that we have yet. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Romans 3.23 reminds us of the more specific problem, though. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I have news for you, parents. Your children are sinners. I didn't hear any amens on that. I'm surprised. Your children are sinners. And you're a sinner, too. We're both sinners. And at times, I think sometimes you can almost look at it as two against one. Two against one, especially if your children are unbelievers. At this point, you can look at it almost as you're battling two different sin natures. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're battling against your own flesh and you're battling against their flesh. They're sinners. They're wicked. They're evil. We say that a little bit in jest, but it's the reality. They're sinners. 
That's why it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult because all of us have sinned. We are not perfect parents, and we will fail over and over again in our attempt to be the parents that God has called us to be. But our children are not perfect either. They're sinners. And so this call to parenthood is a call to a very difficult process, to a a struggle and a fight that will take years. Unfortunately, as much as we may desire to, we cannot make the choice for them to follow Christ. One of the hardest realities of accepting our call is the reality that the final result is in many ways out of your hands. It is one of the most frustrating and scariest parts of parenting. Because you spend 18, 19, 20 years working, praying, disciplining, teaching. And yet the final result is not in your hands. Romans 1, 18 through 25 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. As I was thinking about this reality, that's where my mind was drawn to. So many, especially these days, brought up with the truth, yet walked away. There are many who have grown up with the truth and have abandoned it for the foolishness of this world. Yet even in this reality that we are not the ones who determine the final outcome, we can rest in the hope that God is working. God is working. And he has not called us to be the ones responsible for the final outcome. He's called us to be faithful in what he has told us to do. We can take comfort in the fact that if we are faithful to do the things that God has required of us as parents, that regardless of the outcome, God will be pleased. As parents, the question is, are we faithful to follow the instructions we are given in Scripture? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Our children one day will stand before God And they will not be able to stand there and point to us and say, 
they didn't get me saved. Because that is a choice that they will have to make. But we will also stand before God and we will give an account of what we did and what we said and how we raised the children that God sovereignly placed in our family. Parents, have you just accepted the fact that you have kids? (laughs) We're stuck with them. Or have you accepted the calling that God has placed on your life? Fathers, have you accepted the calling that God has placed on your life? That's a lot of thoughts for one word. But I believe that one word gives us very clearly a calling that we need to understand the fullness of. There's an importance here. As we come to this passage, there's an importance to understand that this is not just a mistake. God has sovereignly put us in this role as parents. And are we accepting that role fully? Number two, the second requirement that we see in Scripture here in these verses is that we must avoid sinful tactics. When it comes to raising our children, we must accept the calling. Okay, God, I believe, I understand. This is your will. I have a responsibility in this. But not only that, we have to, excuse me, avoid sinful tactics. What does he say here? He says, in verse four, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. In the Colossians passage, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The ESV translates both of these words as provoke, um, which is a good translation for both of them. But I think as we look at these two words more closely, we'll get a more complete understanding of what Paul is warning us against. The word in Ephesians is Perogizo means to provoke to anger or to make angry. <laughs> uh, that is the literal, pretty much only translation of that Greek word. Um, don't provoke them to anger. That may sound like an unfair task. I mean, we just talked about the fact that they're sinners, right? We just talked about the fact that they're, they are dirty, rotten sinners, and they're going to choose to do wrong. And yet, Paul's telling us, look, don't provoke them to anger. The first thing that comes to my mind when I, when I try to understand what Paul's saying here is a passage that we looked at actually a few weeks ago, Matthew chapter 18. If you remember Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, we read this, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck than to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now again, there's some debate here as to whether it's referring to children or whether it's referring to young believers. Um, I think either way, the point is valid that we should not be a stumbling block. We should not be a stumbling block. What Paul's telling us here is we should not act in such a way that we cause our children to sin. We should not be the ones who are provoking them to sin, specifically here in this passage, anger. 
We should not, in our actions and in our words, be provoking them to anger. The word anger here in this passage is actually not a separate word. It's, it's a separate word in English, but it's the same word. That, that word in Greek is that whole concept, provoking to anger. But I think the, the word in Colossians gives us a little bit more clarification here. That word is erethizo. Erethizo. It means to stir up, to provoke. Uh, the idea here is to stir someone to action as if by challenging them to a contest, sometimes negatively to the point of exasperation. Sometimes negatively to the point of exasperation. I'm sure if you took the time to look back at your own life, you can probably think of some ways that your parents interacted with you that caused you to be exasperated, <laughs> caused you to be just frustrated. Like, how am I ever supposed to win? Have you ever had that thought as a child, as a husband? No, I mean, I, as a child, how am I ever going to win? How, how, how am I ever going to please these parents? It seems like nothing I do is ever going to make them happy. I'm never going to make the grade, whether it is actual grades or whether it's action. I'm never going to be able to make the grade. What does that look like? What does it look like to, to create a stumbling block, to stir our children up to this, uh, this situation of, of feeling exasperated? That Colossians passage uses another word there. He says, lest they become discouraged. Discouraged. Is that how we're parenting? Are we parenting in such a way that our children feel like there's no hope? Are they discouraged? What does this look like? It looks like self-serving or inconsistent discipline. What do I mean by that? I mean disciplining based on my comfort or desires rather than based on God's word. Do I discipline because I'm angry or frustrated because of how they're affecting me? Or I discipline because they've sinned against a holy God? It may look like unkind or unloving words in reproof. We may be right in the fact that we're correcting them, but are we right in the way that we speak to them? That can provoke them to discouragement or to anger. It might look like setting unrealistic goals for our children where we seek perfection over progress. Whether that's in sports or academics or even in just the everyday life. Do we set expectations higher than they're able to attain? Another way that we may do this is by simply living a double standard. Do what I say, not what I do. Are we living the example that we want them to be? It's so easy to fall into the trap of disciplining and training our children for our own glory rather than for the glory of God. Conflict is bound to happen in parenting because we're dealing with two sinners. The question is, how do we as parents 
respond? Do we respond in such a way that provokes them to anger, that discourages them? Or do we respond in a way that encourages them, that builds them up, that edifies them? Do we respond in selfishness and sinfulness? Or do we respond like our heavenly father, our good, good father? Because he has given us a better model. John 1, 12 through 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not by blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you remember that this morning? That you are a child of God? Think about those words. Ephesians 1 tells us that we are adopted as sons. Through the work of Jesus Christ. We don't have just these little bit of instruction. We have the perfect example in God the Father. He is our Father. Romans 8, 14 through 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Titus 3, 3 through 7 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, done in by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As followers of Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters of God, the father who is our perfect example even while we were sinners and enemies of God and his love and compassion, his son paid our debt. We can, therefore, as his children, through the power of the Holy Spirit, emulate him as we parent our children. We can, in the midst of earthly conflict and struggle of parenting, look to the Father and emulate the way he deals with us, not in sinful flesh, selfish tactics, but in perfect, selfless acts. Psalm 103, 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We see that God is a compassionate and kind Father, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. God disciplines us out of a heart of love. James 1:17. every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is consistent and unchanging in his nature and his holiness. Those are just a few examples of the God that we can emulate as our perfect father. 
as you are teaching your children and training your children, are you using sinful tactics or are you emulating the spiritual tactics of our Father? Apply, avoid sinful tactics. Number three, apply biblical truth. The Colossians passage ends there after that kind of negative part, but Ephesians goes on to say, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word discipline here is the Greek word paideia. It means discipline or training. It's the whole training and education of children, both the cultivation of the mind and the morals. It includes commands, admonitions, reproof, and punishment. So this word discipline here is the idea of training them up in morality. Training them up in morality. Teaching them what is right and wrong. Teaching them that actions have consequences. Teaching them that sin deserves punishment. That's the goal of the discipline or the training. The question is, whose morality are we training them in? Whose morality are we training them in? Are we training them in our own morality? Are we training them in the morality that we see out in the world? What does it say? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of who? Of the Lord. The discipline of the Lord. That is the morality that we should be teaching them. Again, God is our example. We read this in Hebrews 12. 7 through 11, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's the goal. That's the morality that we are to be teaching. Revelation 9, 13, again, God speaking, Jesus speaking, he says, thus those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline but be we- or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Discipline is necessary. It's not a word that we like to hear in our culture very much, but it is one that scripture requires of us as parents. We are to discipline and bring them up morally in God's morality. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22, 15, we already read, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14, do not withhold discipline from the, Lord, from the child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 29, 15 through 17, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look down upon their downfall. Discipline your son 
and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. We could probably park for a long time on what in the world all that discipline looks like, but the reality is we need to discipline our children. We may have varying ideas on the methods and, and the process, but there needs to be discipline in our homes. But not just the discipline, there needs to be teaching. It's not just telling them that, that they're wrong and punishing them, but it's teaching them what is right. That's the other aspect of it. We must be teaching what is right. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, And these words that I have commanded you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorstep, doorposts of your house and on your gates. What does that look like? What does it look like to be training our children in the morality of God? When you're disciplining your children, do you remind them who it is they've really sinned against? Do you point them back to Scripture? When you're correcting action or speech, do you do it from the perspective of Christ-likeness and training them in what Christ-likeness looks like? Do you spend any time simply reading or praying with them outside the church or the dinner table? When you look for entertainment, is it only the world or is there something else to offer? We have Awana here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. We have in the past. And with that comes a book every child has. A very simple opportunity to sit down and just go through the book with your child. That can be what that looks like. Are you teaching by your example or are you just teaching by your words? Can you, like Paul, say, follow me as I follow Christ? It's not just enough to teach biblical morality, though. Paul uses another word here for instruction. It's nuthesia. It means admonition or instruction. This is the idea of a cautionary advice about something, especially danger or other unpleasantness. What is the most important cautionary advice we can give our children? Is it not that one day we will stand before God and be judged? I believe Paul's concept here with this other word for instruction is not just the training of the child, but the gospel witness. Are we teaching and preaching the gospel in our homes. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Do you see the progression there? One generation to the next. The gospel being proclaimed. Second Timothy 3, 14 through 15 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you prioritize gospel conversations in your home, or do you just hope they will get it when they come to church? Fathers, 
Do you prioritize gospel conversations with your children? Or do you just hope that sitting here, they're going to understand what we say? It is your responsibility to not only bring them up in the morality of God, but to preach the gospel to them. Lastly, and very quickly, we need to accept and give help. We can all admit that we're not perfect. But one of the hardest things that we can do, especially I think when it comes to being a parent, is accept somebody else's admonition or somebody else's help. But yet God has uniquely fit together this body with people who have experiences that can help you and your children grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ even outside of our weekly sermons. There are people in this body who have been there. We have people who have raised children already. The Palmers, the Andersons, the painters had to complete the hat trick. I think Andy mentioned the painters and Eric mentioned the painters. So 51 years of marriage. But there are people who love the church and love you and have been there and they would be more than happy to share the struggles and the heartaches and the success and the joy that there is with parenting. But are we willing to accept that help? We should be. James 1.27 says that religion, I'm sorry, Titus 2, 6 through 3, I jumped one. Titus 2, 6 through 3 gives us this example. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So the older women should be teaching the younger women. There should be a process in the church where there is reaching out. If you've been there, reach out to someone who is struggling. Reach out to someone who may not be struggling. Reach out. That's what the body of Christ is for. God has fitly joined together for us. That joined, joined us together for that. We're to be teaching and encouraging Younger parents, we should be looking for those who may need help. James 1.27 says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To visit orphan and widows in their affliction, what can that look like? It could look like coming alongside a single parent and helping them giving them advice, taking them off their hands once in a while, helping to be some of that spiritual instruction, that discipleship. We even see that in Paul as he took on Timothy, whose father was not a believer from what we can tell. Second Timothy 2, 1 and 2, Paul is writing to Timothy again. And he says, you then, my child, Paul thought of Timothy as his spiritual son. 
It wasn't just some guy that he was discipling at church. There was a deeper relationship there. He, he looked at him as his child in the Lord. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul was an active discipler. When you think about who you might interact with in the church, have you ever thought about the children? Have you ever thought about what children you might could impact for the gospel? What children you might could help come alongside a family where maybe there is an unsaved father, or maybe there is an unsaved mother, or maybe there is neither in the home. To come alongside and be that father or mother to them. That's what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ and to come alongside parents in this matter of parenting. So what is our responsibility? What is our requirement from Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3 as parents? We must accept our calling, knowing that God has ordained us as parents. We must avoid sinful tactics that serve only our selfishness. We must apply biblical truth and be willing to accept and give help when necessary. How are you doing? If we're honest, we probably all would say that we're in different points of failure when it comes to being godly parents. But we can be better through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit and through the admonition and support of one another within covenant membership. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you that you have jointly fit us together, each one with varying gifts to help the body. And one of those gifts, Lord, is teaching and, and admonishing, Lord, and not, not just here from the pulpit, but one-on-one but -on -one and interacting with one another, Lord. We thank you for the diversity that you give within the church of age, people who have been through this process before and who can give both instruction and can give times when, when they failed and times when they saw your grace come in. And even in spite of failure, you do a work, Lord. We know that there is nothing that we can do to change the hearts and minds of our children. That is only you. And so even as we seek to put these things into practice, Father, we put our hands out open asking for you to fill them. We pray that you would give us wisdom as we interact with our children, that we would understand who you are. Father, I think of us as, as fathers, as we seek to, to give gospel instruction to our children, Lord, there may be some here who don't even know the gospel, who could not even communicate the gospel to their children. Father, I pray that if there's any here like that this morning, that they would see their need of you that they would understand that they could never be the parent that you desire without first becoming a child of you. Lord, I pray that you would draw men and women to you. And then through that, you would draw children to you as we seek to impact the next generation, not for our own desires, but for your glory. May you be glorified in it. In Christ's name we pray.